We've been preaching through First Peter, especially for any guests here today. Uh, if this is your first time. Um, I've been preaching through the book of First Peter, uh, and uh, we've been calling it identity in a world of imposters. Who are we? Um, you know, all everybody is a hypocrite in some way. We're all putting on a front in some way, and the Bible calls us to be as authentic as possible. It calls us to live out Christ uh, the best way we know how. And Peter. He understood that better, maybe better than almost anybody. Um, he's certainly up there with the top ones. And uh, so he wrote a lot about it. And so today we're talking about identity of the sheep and the shepherd. And uh, it, it, this is a double whammy for me because it's talking to me both, in both cases. I am a sheep, but I'm also a shepherd. So I've got, I'm getting, so I get to talk to myself while you listen today, for sure. Because it's about my job uh, in, in one way of putting it. But uh, have you, I know that you probably know the Bible talks a lot about sheep. And you might wonder why God made an animal like a sheep. Because they got a lot of good about them. Like they make good clothes. They taste good when you cook them and stuff. Um, but uh, they are a, a, otherwise they're a nuisance and hard to, hard to take care of. Ask anybody that has them. They take a lot more attention. I, I, I looked up, are sheep really that dumb? Because people always say they're dumb. And, and in some ways they are, and in other ways they do have an intelligence, but it leads to bad things, okay? So I, I, one guy listed five reasons that God uses uh, sh uh, sheep uh, in, in the scripture. First of all, they follow other sheep blindly. Where the crowd's going, that's where they're going. I, I mean, there's, a, there's a, a great old story of it. And, and I've seen it work. I've seen it happen. You, you put a rope or a stick across where the sheep are going in single file. And the first one will jump over it. You can pull that away. And every sheep behind him will jump over. No matter how many there is. With nothing there. But what that also means is. If one goes in a direction. They're all going to go in that direction in, in general. And there is a, a true story told about 1,500 sheep. They got a little anxious. A little panic. And one started running, and he went off the cliff. There was 1,500 of them that went over the cliff. 400 of them died, but they broke the fall of the 1,100 survivors. But 1,500 sheep just went over a cliff, because that first guy did, in panic. Uh, there's a good old saying, panic kills. Uh, you got you to stay calm. But sheep are... They tend to do that, but they'll follow each other blindly. And that's their strength. They are emotional. They recognize other sheep's faces. They can distinguish. They can distinguish a shepherd's voice. They can read emotion. But what that means, every weakness is a strength taken to an extreme. And what that means is they can get anxious and distressed and feel sadness. The shepherd has to bring calmness to the sheep. That's what he is there to do. Because if they get anxious, then they do stuff like run off a cliff. But they're emotional driven almost. And that's the, that is their intelligence. But it also leads to a lot of bad things. Because emotion without direction is uh, dangerous. Uh, thirdly, sheep are not meant to carry burdens. It'll crush them. Do I need to make that analogy to us? <laughs> we carry around bitterness, anger, hatred, worry. We carry all that stuff around and it crushes us. We are not meant to do that. Jesus, the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He doesn't, he doesn't put too heavy a burden on us. Another bad thing about sheep, they will settle for less. Do you know they'll drink out of a dirty, disease-infested pool of water with clean water 10 feet from them? 
They'll just take whatever they got. A lot like people, right? They will, they will take the bad just because it's easy, just because it's convenient. And sheep are valuable. They give us food, they give us wool. And we are more valuable to God than stinking sheep. Because sheep stink, by the way. They, they require constant care. They require you to clean them, feed them, guide them. One scientist said, sheep alone disprove evolution. Because there's no way anything that dumb could have evolved and survived long enough to evolve. <laughs> I, I believe that's true. And so it's not real flattering when God says, you are the sh- you're the sheep of God, the people of my pasture. He cares for us. Jesus is called the great shepherd of the sheep. And so what's that got to do with this passage in Peter, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5? Because he's talking there about the pastors. And there's three words used for that. The word pastor means shepherd. We're going to get to that. But here's what I want you to take home with you today. It's, 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 this is the best statement I can make for you. And that is, if you are in a position of feeding sheep, you are a shepherd. You know how you tell the difference between sheep and a shepherd? A shepherd is a sheep got up on his hind legs and led. That's just how that works. I am a sheep, but God called me to lead. So that means I got to lead, but I'm still a sheep. I still need everything he's got to give me. I need all of that because I don't have it within me because I am a sheep to do the job even adequately. I've got to have God. And so if I ignore God, I can't do my job. And Peter here tells us about what this job is like. And you say, well, that doesn't apply to us, so I'm going to check out. No, if you're teaching your kids, you're shepherding them. If you are teaching a Sunday school class or any kind of class, you're shepherding those people. You are called to, to be that if you are in any way helping, teaching, instructing someone else. And so I, I want you to catch that. Let me read this passage, and we're on page 1206 if you use the Bible provided for you uh, there in, in the pews. And uh, let me read these first five verses. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I got a lot to say in a few minutes say it in. So you listen fast, all right? Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is Peter is addressing elders. Here toward the end of the book, he's talking to elders. And that may be a term you're unfamiliar with. You're familiar with the word pastor, but he actually, in this passage, uses several words. I'm going to talk about that later. But an elder is a pastor and there's a couple other words we use. And the word pastor and the word shepherd is the same word. Both in, in Hebrew and in Greek, which are the two languages of the Bible, main languages. The word shepherd is what a pastor is. That is, that is the name. Jesus is the chief shepherd, as you just heard me read. And, and so, Peter comes at this with humility. Look what he says there in the very first verse of this chapter. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow heir. A fellow elder, I should say. Why is that humility? Because Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. 
He's the guy that unlocked the door at Pentecost. He's the guy that unlocked the door in chapter 8 when half Jew and half Gentiles became Christians. And he's the guy that unlocked the door in in Acts, uh, I believe it's 10, when Cornelius became a Christian. And so he unlocked the door. And Cornelius was a Gentile. He was an Italian man. And so God used Peter to open the door and build the church. That's, that was the first. Jesus said that in Matthew. <coughs> he said, on this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say, I'll build your church. He didn't say, you'll build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. The church, the, which is the redeemed people of God. In this building, we got a lot of people. There are people in here who may not be in the church. You're in this building, but you not, might not be in that family of God. You might not be in the sheepfold with the shepherd. And that's something you need to make sure of. And Peter here, though, he doesn't come in and say, Now remember, I'm the apostle. I'm the guy that walked with Jesus three plus years. I'm the guy he gave the keys to. You got to listen to me. He said, I'm a fellow heir, man. I'm a fellow elder. You, you, we're in this together, in other words. This isn't a matter of, of him being over the other. Not only that, he says, I have a unique qualification. I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I saw what he went through. Say, well, I thought Peter abandoned him. Wasn't at the crucifixion? He wasn't. But for three and a half years, he saw that passive obedience of Jesus. He's the one that said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, well, now God had to reveal that to you because you couldn't figure that out on your own. So obviously God has spoken through you. But Peter witnessed that, that passive suffering of Christ in that it was God in human flesh who took on the sins of the world. And he witnessed personally, and he, saw, he was at the Mount Transfiguration, all of that. He witnessed the sufferings of Jesus. And, but notice how he ends that verse. And a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. That sounds like bragging. But what he's saying is. You and I and all of us are going to partake together. He's not saying I'm going to get a special reward in heaven because of my position. He doesn't say that at all. He probably didn't believe that at all. We don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe we see in Revelation there's 12 elders and 12 uh, tribes. And and so somehow God's got all that worked out. Peter might be sitting there on one of those seats. You know. I I don't know. That's God's business. He'll... no, when you get there, you'll know it. If you don't get there, sorry, you'll never know it. But anyway, um, Peter is, is addressing them with great humility. And, and that's part of being a shepherd. Because you realize you, you got a hard job and it's hard to do. It's hard to keep up with, with a bunch of sheep like that. So we keep using the word elder. What does it mean to be an elder? And I'll say this before I say what the three words we use are. An elder is someone... Uh, has three main components to it. Relationship, I'm going to use the word calling, and the word desire. An elder has to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost. That is number one. Number two, if you've got a family, that's the second most important. So you've got to have a good relationship with God, then you've got to have a good relationship with your physical family. Then thirdly, you take all of that and translate it into serving the church. Thank you. Just waiting on that. All right. So that's an important quality of an elder. And, and I'll define the word elder in a minute. But then there's a calling. And that is practical gifting to serve Christ. I could have said it has to be gifted. But that, uh, we, we tend to think of gifted as, oh, that guy's gifted. He's really sharp. No, the Holy Spirit gives us a gift. It doesn't mean I'm sharp. It means I've got a gift from the Holy Spirit. If you're walking in the spirit, your education don't matter. It does matter, but, 
but if you're walking in the spirit, God is leading you and guiding you. I believe God wants us to learn and wants all of us to learn constantly because you're never going to get there in this life. And so you start on a journey and you're on that journey till you get to heaven and you just keep growing in Christ. You keep learning more and more. But the, the elder, the pastor has a practical gifting to serve the church. And God calls us to do that and to please Christ. We serve Christ. We please Christ. And then uh, 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 we have a desire, I should say, to please Christ. We have a personal relationship. We want to serve Christ. And we want to please him. And so an elder has relationship, calling, and desire. And, and we see that desire because here's what Peter says uh, in verse 2. Shepherd or pastor the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, uh, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Well, that's going to mess up a bunch of people out there. But, not out here, but out there in, in that place where others are. Um, he, he says here, you don't do it because you have to do it. You should do it because God called you and you desire Remember, part of it is a relationship with God. He's called you to do it, and you have a desire to please him, so therefore you obey him. And so Peter goes on to tell us guys, listen, don't do it for money. I don't know any real shepherd that does it for money. Because then you serve money, you don't serve Christ. The Bible says in Galatians 1 that if you are still fearful of men, you will not please God. And so most of the guys that fear God and tell it straight aren't going to make a whole lot of money. And those who do, they are very careful to take care of that in an open way. They like, I think of Billy Graham. In modern times, he was a leader in that. You could see where every dime went in their organization. You knew everything about it because they wanted to be open above board. He didn't do it for money. Now, there's a bunch of preachers out there. You want to get a special blessing, just send them $5 and get that prayer cloth. Going to heal all your diseases. Don't fall for that stuff. That's just a charlatan trying to make money. That's not a shepherd trying to serve sheep. Period. There's no qualification on that. So that's kind of who Peter's addressing and how he's addressing us. He says that ought to be your motivation. But then secondly, Peter uses three different words. We've read them twice now at least. So let me, let me help you. First of all, we've been using the word elder. That means maturity. It means what you think it means. It means elder. And I could tell you the Greek word, but all that would do is make you think I was smart because I knew a Greek word. It, it just means older. It mean, but it, it doesn't mean older chronologically necessarily. It means maturity. I did something I don't recommend anybody to do. And that is I started pastoring at age 19. So when I started doing that, I would have people look at me and go, you're too young to be a pastor. I didn't disagree with them. I said, but I've been doing it since I was 14. They just didn't call me pastor. Everything I started doing at 19, I've been doing since I was 14. Picking up kids for church, teaching them. I was going out telling people about the Lord. I was singing in the choir. I was going to Bible studies. I was doing everything. I led Bible studies and, and taught there. Did it for five years before I ever got the title of a pastor of some sort. And, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying but you have to have some spiritual maturity. Now, looking back, I would say, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. <laughs> uh, you know, that was, that, I, I needed something else. But sometimes, you know, I can't tell God how to do my life, right? And that's just how he led me. Uh, I, I found out recently, Dr. Lawless is coming in August 13. He started pastoring at age 20. He got saved at about uh, uh, either 11 or 14, I forget. But, but it's kind of similar thing. And I went, hmm, that's interesting. And 
he's teaching other guys how to do it now. He's a, he's a, good, uh, a good person to know that from. So it just means you got to be proven. You got to know that you, you got to know that they know what they're doing. And they got to have, it, it, elder has a sense of sobriety. And I, I don't mean not drunk. I mean of seriousness. You got to be serious about the things of God. That means you can't be jovial and fun. But you got to be serious about the things of God. And then he uses the word overseer. He, he says right there, he says, uh, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight or overseer. That is a word we translate as bishop uh, in, in our modern language, but it's an overseer. And the overseer takes responsibility for the well-being of the flock. That is, he makes sure that the flock is getting fed. Now, a pastor is a shepherd. He's going to make sure they get fed. But as an overseer, you're responsible for the flock as a whole, not just individuals. You're responsible for everybody, everything. And, and so God uses that word to remind us, hey, if, if I'm, I'm holding you accountable. You got to be shepherding and overseeing the whole flock. And then the third word is the word pastor. It means shepherd. They feed the sheep. They protect the sheep. That's what they're supposed to do. And so they oversee them. They protect them. They feed them. And they should be serious about it and know what they're doing. And so the word elder is a qualification. Overseer and shepherding are the tasks. Okay. A qualification is you got you to be sober-minded. But then when you do that, the job is to feed and protect the flock and oversee all of that. But the third thing I want you to see in this passage is the response of the sheep to the elders. Now, I, I've, I've talked about what I'm supposed to be doing. And please pray for me. Please pray a lot for me. Um, I need your prayers. In verse 3, by the way, he says, Not domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. I'm supposed to be modeling what I'm telling you to do. And if I'm not, then I'm wrong. I, if I don't model it, then I can't, I can't tell you to do it. And so if I model it correctly, notice the response. In verse 4, he says, um, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter says, elders, don't worry about money now. God's going to reward you with his rewards later. You following that? So if y'all, just by the way, I'm sure you have seen, whether they were nationally known or not, you've seen preachers that won't be rewarded now, right? I use that word like we use in the South. I mean, pastors. You've seen those guys, they want for themselves now, right? They don't sacrifice for the sheep. Would you agree? Peter says our motivation is to be that day when we stand before Christ. We are to please him, not you. That, that's why it's hard, because <laughs> you may not want me to please Christ. You might want me to please you. But here's the response to the elders. We find it in verse 5. And I, I didn't really ever think about this until I was really studying for this. Likewise, you who are younger. Now, you and I read that, and we read it like it's written in our context. We got to go back to their context. You who are younger does not mean if you're not mature enough to be an elder... You're calling the leader an elder. That means the others are the younger. It's just, a, it's just a play on words and juxtaposition to everybody else. If you're not in the eldership, then you're in the youngership. Okay? If you're not old, you're young is, is sort of the idea. It's not talking about young people. It's talking about the church as a whole. So likewise, the church, be subject to the elders. He, he, he said, Let the, follow them. If sheep told the shepherds where they ought to go eat, 
it'd be a mess. Because I told you, sheep don't think that sharply. That's why I need an elder to help bring them to the food to eat. If you leave them alone, like I said, 1,500 of them jump off a cliff. So, so they need direction. They need help. And in Psalm 23, what does the shepherd do? Leads us to still waters. He feeds us in green pastures, right? So he is our chief shepherd who does that. So he's calling the church to be subject to the elders, but he's calling all of us, clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, all of you, meaning us elders as well, with humility. I'm very proud of my humility. Oops, it moved. Pride, uh, humility is a, is a loose fence, and you lean on it, it's going to move. Humility means quit thinking about yourself. I, that's something, you know, all of us struggle with, and, and I, I, it's just part of human nature. We, we have to, if you're thinking about yourself, you're not there yet. It's called total abandon. I'm telling you, our, our, the top athletes in the world, they never think about their body when they're doing what they're doing. They may be running into a broken bone or a more serious accident that they don't slow down, they don't stop, they go hard anyway because they're not thinking about what it's going to do to them. They're thinking about what they're going to do to that. And that's what God calls us to do, all of us. Don't think about yourself. Think about we want to please God. We want to serve God. We want to do what he says. And we totally abandon on God. And then all of us together follow him. And notice what he says. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says, show humility to one another. Don't, earlier he said, don't lord it over them. Don't be a bossy guy. But to be someone who has humility, who, who is humble in himself towards you, and then expect God to do something in all of our lives together. Because God opposes the proud. If you want God to work in your life, Wait a minute, what is the first beatitude? Oh yeah, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, y'all were listening, good. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because when we're poor in spirit, we realize we don't have anything to give. Every gift that we give, this sermon, Sunday school, choir, instrumentalist, just you showing up, that's an act of God. You brought nothing here, God gives to us. We only return to him what he's given us. We see that in money, but that's in every part of our life. We are only to return what we've been given. I, and I, I just want to talk about what we should do. Usually I have these like numbered out, some very definite things. And the reason we show humility, by the way, as elders is because, as I said, I'm a sheep too. I'm, I'm, I'm just as... as um, I'm trying not to use bad words, but I'm just as ignorant. <laughs> I'll do dumb things. I'll panic, run off a cliff, just like anybody else. But God called me to shepherd, and so he has to give the grace for me to do that. Because grace is another word for God's power in my life, in your life. Amen? And he encourages us in Hebrews, come boldly to the throne of grace. So we come there, and he gives us what we need to do the job. So I, I want you to see... One, one thing, you, you may be confused because we've been using the word elder and we, we don't have it, anybody we call that name in, in our church. Um, but that is what I am. I'm an elder. I'm a bishop. I am a pastor. Those are the three words we would use. And by the way, 
I want you to understand, other denominations, other people use those words differently. All three names are applied to the same person. In, in the book of Acts, when Paul's on his way to Rome, he stops off at Ephesus, which is probably the greatest place he, he helped. He stayed two years there teaching them, and they were able to teach other people. And, and it says he called them together. He called the elders together on the seashore, and he, called, and he used all three of those words talking to them. He says, you, you are this, this, this. And it's those three words, same person. So if you come out of another denomination, a bishop is just a pastor. An elder is just a pastor. A pastor is a pastor. And he's an elder and a bishop. And do you know what the qualification, not the quality, but the qualification of an elder is opposed to everybody else? In 1 Timothy, the qualifications of a deacon and an elder are the same except for one thing. An elder has the ability to communicate the doctrines of the gospel to other people. They're gifted in doing that. They're able to do that. Now, if you can do that, it doesn't automatically make you an elder. That's up to the church to designate you as such. But now you're qualified to be one, at least in that area. If you don't have the ability to explain the gospel and the full doctrine of the gospel to other people, and I don't mean just the plan of salvation, I mean what all we believe then you're not an elder doesn't mean you're not effective or useful to God. It just means he didn't gift you with that because that's not what he wanted for you. That's fine. You can still learn a lot and communicate a lot. But they have that ability to, to bring that out for, for other people. So if you're a Sunday school teacher, and now this is going to shock you, you're acting like an elder because you're supposed to be teaching that class. You're supposed to be overseeing that class. You ought to have some good qualifications in your life. And you have an ability to teach. So I don't know if you ever thought about that. But you have, you're, you're a pastor of a small church. I, 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 let me explain what I'm trying to say. In the, in the very early church. You know where they met for worship? Anywhere they could hide. In many places. They met in homes. They met in, in caves. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. They met out in the open in places. Because they couldn't have a church building. Why? Because Christianity was illegal. It was illegal to 330 AD. Or common time as they say now. When Constantine made Christianity a legal religion in Rome. And then we started going downhill. <laughs> Once we got legal, we started going downhill. The church thrives under persecution. So the church at Jerusalem met in a lot of locations. Because uh, 3,000 got saved at Pentecost. A few more thousand a couple chapters later. They had five to 7,000 people in that church. They can't all meet in one place. They'd have to go meet the Colosseum. And if they met there, they're going to let lions out, right? No, that's not in Jerusalem. That's in Rome. But, but what I'm saying is, so they had to meet in multiple places. So the apostles at the beginning were teaching the elders the, the, the doctrine of the church. And then in Timothy, Paul, as an apostle, says to Timothy, what I taught you, you teach to other men who can teach other men. This is how it's supposed to keep going. You follow me? So... We don't teach people what they should know. We teach people what they should teach other people. What God has given you, you ought to be teaching somebody else that. And if you do that, you're doing the job of an elder if you don't have the title. But I just want to encourage our Sunday school teachers. You have a grave responsibility. You are shepherding God's flock. You are a small group in the larger church meeting in separate rooms. Early church, big church in Jerusalem, meeting in a bunch of places. Calvary. Church, meeting in several little locations at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Follow me? I'm smiling because that's exciting to me. That is awesome. That is, that's how God wants it to be. He wants us to be meeting in small groups looking at the Word. And then, 
I just want to lay it on you. If you have any leadership role, you also have responsibility. Peter here is calling us to accountability. Amen? That's, that's me. Like I said, I'm just having to preach at me because I see Peter's preaching that. But he's saying, but it's a shepherd-sheep relationship. And you've got responsibilities as a sheep. And God may lead you to, to take on some more leadership or responsibility. You are leading people. You ought to realize how important that is to God. That is vitally important. Maybe you're not grown to that point yet. That, and that's fine. God bless you. But we can all serve. Listen, I could serve by picking up the trash. Because whatever I do, I'm supposed to do it to the glory of God. I was taught to look at anything I did as if I were doing it for Jesus. That he was going to come along and inspect how well I cleaned up. Or how well I built that. Or how well I painted that. Or how well I spoke. Or whatever it is. And so if we would all adopt that, I have a responsibility under Christ to do everything I do to his glory and for his sake. He will lead you to great, great places where he will use you even though you didn't think he was. I, I had a friend compliment me uh, the other day on Facebook, and I'm not on Facebook, but uh, someone showed it to me. And I just wrote back and I said, thank you for that encouragement. I'm not sure exact words they use, but what I was trying to convey is thank you. It's knowing that somebody somewhere I was able to help by God's grace and God's power encourages me to keep going. There are people that you don't know you've touched that are, that are in the faith and growing in Christ because of you and you may not ever know it. Don't stop. Keep living for Jesus.